Thanks so much for joining us for another edition of The Field from KAWC. I'm Lisa Sturgis. Less than three weeks until the general election, and it's anybody's guess who will lead Arizona into the future. In this edition, we talk to a pollster and a political scientist about why it's so tough to predict who will win in November. Plus, Yuma Mayor Douglas Nichols is here with details about the municipal ballot propositions facing Yuma voters. But we begin with a conversation with the U.S. Congressman representing Southern Yuma County, Representative Raul Grijalva. Congressman Raul Grijalva has served Southern Arizona in Washington, D.C. for nearly 20 years, and his roots to Yuma's South County go even further back. Issues like water and the border have long been priorities for the representative. We recently got the opportunity to sit down with him for an extended conversation on both topics. We begin with his reaction to the placement of shipping container barricades along the Yuma border. It's a, it's a political stunt. It's a campaign stunt. The issue is this, you know, that we're in, we're in the throngs of the midterm election and the Republican Party and Ducey and others see immigration, see the border as a red meat issue uh, that they can use uh, to defeat Democrats. Uh, open borders, invasions, criminals coming across the border, danger, fear, and, and, and as long as the situation on the border is, is lacking co- a, a, a common ground movement on solutions, uh, they get to take advantage of it and exploit it. So I, I always thought it was a political stunt. The problem with the stunt was that they chose to uh, to put some uh, put, try to uh, store uh, some of uh, those containers on federal public land, taxpayer land, and for that you need a perm- you need permission. Uh, and uh, I think they, they uh, and that was that was the mistake that they made. And and the Cocopa exercised their rights, their sovereignty rights. And I think even for uh, this governor or even the federal government, who, who uh, when the autumn down in southern Arizona told the federal government you can't build a wall on, on our land, uh, they backed off too. And I think uh, for once it was smart not to challenge the sovereignty issue of the Cocopa tribe because there would have been a precedent setter and uh, it, would have, it would have backfired on the governor. And so the fact that they skipped over Cocopa is because of that sovereignty issue. But, you know, the issue on the border, and it is a crisis, I don't deny that, is it, 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 it's driven by a lack of solution. Some, the worse the situation becomes in people's minds, the better my political advantage. Well, that's not going to solve a problem. And we have passed legislation time and time again, and it goes and dies in the Senate. We passed the DREAM Act. We passed the Promise Act. We passed uh, the the we we passed the Farm Workers Modernization Act uh, and to allow the flow of a workforce uh, without the impediments that currently exist. All that in response to the border issue, the issue of refugees, the issue of asylum seekers coming from Venezuela, Central America, Haiti, Cuba, Brazil, uh, in the Americas. 
interestingly enough, uh, these these people are fleeing authoritarian, uh, strongman kind of governments uh, that some people in this country now seem to uh, to embrace. But but that's been the pressure on the border, and that pressure is not going to lessen. And and as long as we don't work on solutions on how the ports of entry can be better equipped and better staffed in order to allow the flow of goods and services, legitimate goods and services, and how we focus our enforcement attention on, on the syndicates, the crime syndicates on both sides of the border who continue to contribute uh, because there is a profit involved in human smuggling and exploitation of people and the dope that we see coming and the guns that we see going. Uh, and, and, and so... There should be a focus on that as well. Uh, the, the crushing humanity, as some people want to say, is, is worldwide. And, and this migrant issue is a worldwide, and there's an international response that needs to happen as well. But as long as the issue of immigration continues to be a red meat, us versus them issue, then you're, you're going to find very few steps taken to look at common ground and solutions. What I want in, in, in immigration reform, I'm not going to get. So many big issues down here um, in Yuma County. Um, and so, uh, well, and I, think the, go ahead. Well, I think one of the big issues in Yuma County, like anywhere else, uh, a big fundamental issue in the in, in the elections that are coming up is is the issue of the, the our democracy and where it's going to stand after this election. Is it going to be? Is it going to survive and be strong? And get stronger, or is it going to continue to uh, to be weakened? That that's on the ballot, like it or not. Uh, a lot of individual rights and equality are is on the ballot, whether you like it or not. And so, so people, yes, we can vote our pocketbook. Yes, we can vote in reaction to what's going on in the border. But fundamental to that is the democracy that allows us to do that. And. Uh, you know, I think that's in jeopardy, and the big lie and the proponents of that lie, uh, particularly here in, in Arizona, uh, where we have a, a slate of extremists for the highest offices in Arizona in the United States Senate, uh, that is uh, the state, along with Yuma County, is going to be bellwether as to how the rest of the nation looks, not just at Arizona, but what, what, what our identity is going to be and what our democracy is going to look like after the midterm. Are we going to get past this? Because to some of us sitting in the cheap seats, it looks like there's so much bickering, nothing's going to get done. Are you hopeful I, that common, common yeah, yeah, ground... I, 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 think, I think right now the issue of common ground, to me the underlying issue is to, to make sure that, the, that, that the, the democracy is secure. Because I think that leads to... Uh, hopefulness, because I, I really see the generations coming up as, as, as being significant change agents in this country and to kind of riding the ship, you know. The extremism that we're confronting, uh, I think, uh, you know, bordering on fascism in some regards, uh, it, 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 it's inevitably going to lose because that's not, that's, not the, that's not our identity, that's not our tradition, that's not our constitution. And uh, I think that'll that'll win in that'll win in the in the short in the long run. In the short term, it's about securing the democracies so, so that the generations coming up 
have the environment of a representative government in which they can make changes. And I, and I'm hopeful, and I am hopeful for those generations because I think they will. That was Democratic Congressman Raul Grijalva. You can look for our full conversation with the congressman on our podcast. Just go to kawc.org. This is The Field from KAWC. I'm Lisa Sturgis. Thanks for sticking around. We spend a fair amount of time talking about the top of ticket races, but municipal elections are coming up too. The city of Yuma asks you to sign off on its general plan with your 2022 ballot, and the mayor joined us to talk about what's in the plan and why you should keep paying a little extra sales tax. We're joined by Yuma Mayor Douglas Nichols to tell us more about what's in the Yuma 2022 general plan. Mr. Mayor, thanks so much for stopping by today. Thanks for having me here. What is the general plan? What is a general plan? Just kind of give us a a little primer there. Basically, a general plan is the document that the voters get to vote on uh, every about every 10 years that sets the direction of development uh, in the city, really kind of focusing on the zoning side. So it's not zoning, but it's the, it's the groundwork that lets us make the zoning decisions for a planning and zoning commission and the city council. What are some of the development priorities for the city that might be included in this plan? Well, the biggest one is the uh, housing component. We want to make sure that there's robust housing opportunities uh, throughout the area, so that helps keep the de- helps to help meet the demand. Now, obviously, it takes private industry to actually build out that housing, so we're not doing that, but we're setting up the groundwork to make sure that private industry has enough land to to make that happen. But we're also very focused upon like things like redevelopment and infill, as well as um, job creation. So that means uh, industrial land, and it means commercial opportunity land. Is there a priority towards single-family homes, multi-family structures, apartments, or all of the above? It's, it's very much all of the above. You know, we, we have recognized that the trend is more for multifamily and apartments and condominiums and stuff uh, here into the future because housing has gotten expensive, so uh, people tend to downsize a little bit in that kind of market. So we're definitely uh, looking at more opportunities for that but for them but housing overall is we want to make sure that people of Yuma have options. I see that transportation is also listed as a priority. Where are we looking to put our resources for the future as far as transportation goes? And our uh, CIP or our capital improvement plan is really where a lot of that detail sits and it's and it's a pavement preservation, which we're starting that season right now. You're going to see a lot of oiling the streets and that kind of thing right as we speak. Uh, but then it's also trying to make sure that we're expanding the roads uh, for the increased volumes that happened over the years. So it's, it's really a balance. Uh, we do have a very kind of focused way that we look to make that happen, making sure that if we can do some maintenance on a road, in other, in other words, do some sort of pavement preservation, effort that extends the life another 20 years, 
we're going to do that. That's dollars really well spent. But at the end of the day, some roads just need full pavement replacement and some roads just need expansion. There's just not enough physical lanes. So those are the areas we've been focused on. But just recently with ARPA funds, we've even focused on coordinating the signals through town, which helps increase capacity and reduces the, the need for adding more asphalt. And what happens if the voters don't approve this? Well, uh, I think we continue under our previous general plan. Uh, that's a really good legal question, but I believe that's the way I understand it happening. Uh, that was approved 10 years ago by the voters. And so um, it still meets the required statute that the uh, state legislature has placed on us to have a plan uh, and to make sure that the opportunity for the community um, to vote on it. So that's what uh, we're trying to fulfill right now. We are able to update the plan in intermediate years in little bits and pieces as property owners move their desires around. Um, but this is the way we, we kind of look at the overall plan uh, holistically. And you can find more information on the plan on the city's website. And there's one more um one more ballot proposition, municipal ballot proposition, and it just asks for the renewal of the hospitality tax. Lots of support um, from business leaders for this proper for the hospitality tax. Definitely, it's really kind of a quality of life issue. Uh, we all have heard people complain. There's nothing to do in Yuma. Okay, well, how do we solve that? Part of it is this tax. This tax was originally placed in in place on the books by the voters and then in 1970 that helped build uh, the golf course and a lot of those amenities and over the years has built um, a lot of different facilities and helped us maintain a lot of facilities so that we have those opportunities and those things to do uh, it is directed to only three specific things one of them is our parks and rec program which will be 80 percent of, of the revenues generated the, uh, the second one is for, um, I think it's termed something like uh, visitor encouragement or, or something like that. But essentially, the Visit Yuma um, organization gets a part of that funding to help draw people to Yuma for tourism activities. And then the National Heritage Area uh, gets part of the other uh, funding in order to, um, to help the, uh, the sustainment of that area, which again is kind of like our Parks and Rec extension and some of their activities. And a yes vote on this does not, it, you won't see any additional taxes. You won't pay any more for anything. It would just be a continuation of the existing tax, correct? That is absolutely correct. Uh, the idea was it's been working for us in the past. Uh, you can always ask for more money, but it didn't really make sense to with what everything's going on. So, so just sustaining where we're at uh, is the best thing we could do for our community. Uh, it's reliable. But no, not, there are no increases. Um, it is pretty much the, the same tax we've been using uh, for the last, what is that, 50 years. Yuma Mayor Doug Nichols, thank you so much for your insight on these municipal ballot props. Thanks for having me on, and please, everyone, get out to vote. The Yuma, Somerton, and San Luis City Council races will also be held November 8th.
less than three weeks away from the November 8th general election, and polls are a poppin'. We're joined today by OH Predictive Insights Chief Researcher, Mike Noble. And we're also joined by our friend of the field, Dr. Gina Woodall, political science professor from Arizona State University. Let's just go through the various races. Let's start with uh, Senator Mark Kelly and Republican Trump-endorsed challenger, Blake Masters. It looks like Masters is getting a little bump in the recent in recent polling. Um, Mike, your poll, which came out last week, uh, showed a little bit more of a gap. Yeah, no, that's a great uh, question. And so the polling on the U.S. Senate race, so one of the two biggies that in uh, governor in our polling, it showed that you know Blake Masters is down. By about 13 points, uh, Kelly's vote share was at 46 percent. Masters was at 33 percent. But what was kind of the surprise was Libertarian Mark Victor was at 15 mm-hmm. percent, which historically I don't think in the last decade a Libertarian's got more than 10 percent of the vote. And it's interesting is that uh, when kind of diving into that, I don't think those folks are actually going to be voting. The majority of those folks are not actually going to be voting for the Libertarian. I think they're kind of maybe uh holding their, you know, uh, more of a protest vote. But because uh, really the issue in that race is that, uh, you know, Masters just kind of had a, a base problem because he really wasn't a known uh, quantity going against Mark Kelly, who had a significant financial um, campaign um, uh, money uh, more than uh, Masters. And so from spending wise, like from the broadcast spending, uh, Masters, uh, you know, has been really pummeled by Mark Kelly and spending it. Uh, from a growth rating point, there's tonnage of ads. It's like a four to one disparity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you look at their image or their, you know, their um, uh, their image and likeness, it's uh, Mark Kelly's plus five uh, with the uh, electorate. So he's above water. He's positively in the Blake Masters that is that like negative 11 or negative 12. But I think those folks will come home um, at the end of the day. And I think on our final poll of record, I think you'll see that um, the race, I think it'll end up finishing within, um, you know, within, you know, four points or less, basically. So it'll be close. What do you think, Dr. Gina? When I saw the polling um, out of your firm and I saw uh, Mark Victor's uh, numbers, it was like, wow, you know, that's definitely (laughs) not, um, that is not the norm. That is like uh, definitely Mm -hmm. an anomaly. But he had a really good debate performance. Yeah. 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 I I, did. I, I would say so. Now, in political science, though, um, debates generally don't don't um, change people's vote choice. That's just what we found in the field. We we find that um, you know the media kind of the media spin afterwards tends to affect favorability, but in terms of like changing vote choice, that generally speaking um, does not happen. So. I, I don't know. I just thought that, that was that was really interesting, and and I agree with Mike that it's probably uh, you know people are probably fatigued, um, you know, with even participating, even if they opt in, you know, right? And maybe they just said, "Nah, I'm going for for this other guy." Yeah. But and, but I think at the end of the day, you know, when it comes to voting, um, that that we're not going to see those numbers. And I absolutely agree. And that was the thing is that with the polling, and we don't have a dog in the fight. Uh, and so for us there, you know, pulling snapshot in time, and you can have that sometimes mm-hmm. where 
at that moment when you're polling or, or fielding that survey, folks, you know, uh, may do that. But uh, based on historics, based, especially Dr. Woodall uh, keenly pointed out, is that, uh, you know, that group should become a home and, you know, the poll record will be fielding here in the next week or so and coming out there. But I think that this race will be, you know, definitely within four points. Um, it still leans uh, a little bit to Mark Kelly um, mm-hmm. right now, but it'll it'll appear closer than probably what it actually is. Okay, let's move down the yep. ticket and talk about Carrie Lake and Katie Hobbs. This is some. This is a race that, given on any given day, one or the other will be up one or two points. If you look at any of the polls in the last month, whether they are polling, anybody else is polling. All of them say the exact same thing. So whether it's and a lot of people get fixated on the number, like oh plus three or plus two or one. Here's the thing: all those ones are well within the margin of error because the margin of error is that's kind of the fuzziness of the number. Um, and all those polls, their margin of error is roughly about four percent. So they're all within the margin. And so what they what they all say, what it all truly means is that hey, this race is super competitive. It's really tight. And that, you know, when it comes to the who's going to be the next CEO of the state of Arizona, you know, people that, you know, that whether they go out and vote or not is really going to be the deciding factor because midterms is really about who shows up because everybody mm-hmm. shows up in the presidential contest. But the midterm, mm-hmm. it's really about uh, turning out and voting. So uh, everyone's vote really is going to matter in that contest. And I totally, totally agree. I mean, you know, the Democrats. They really need to turn out uh, for, I think, Hobbs to, well, not only the Democrats, but the independents need to, need to go for Hobbs and maybe a few Republicans as well. And because of the whole debate debacle and the, you know, Katie Hobbs had an interview um, last night, which, you know, her performance, we could, that's probably another uh, show. Um but, you know, it's really important who turns out. And then I think what, you know, what Mike's firm does, um, and I think it's really important to keep this in mind, I think this is a, a, a great divider uh, demographically, is those with a college education and those without a college education is is, is important because, um, you know, I think Hobbs is, 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 and I think Mike showed this, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. um, that those with a college education are going to break and talking about independents are going to break uh, more for Hobbs and those without are definitely going to break for um, Harry Lake. And so it really is about turnout, especially among independents, the unaffiliated. Um, and there's probably some fatigue sitting in now um, as well. Yeah. And when you look at the, so the, the, the disparity on, on educational uh, lines uh, is that, you know, Hobbs's support, She's a uh, plus 21 points with uh, those that have a you know bachelor's degree or higher. Uh, mm-hmm. With those non-college educated, so you know, just less than a four-year degree, uh, Terry Lake is plus 14. But the difference is that uh, that college plus group is about one third um, of the size of the pie, where um, the non-college educated are about two thirds, so they're a little bit yeah. bigger. So you yeah. see that educational divide, but you're really seeing it's like R's are voting R, D's are voting D. Mm-hmm. You see there's some crossover, and independents are, are leaning slightly to Hobbs uh, by about six points um, there in the middle. It's just the interesting part is that this electoral environment, Republicans have a bit of an advantage with um, uh, turnout uh, mm-hmm. overall. For sure. Mike, remind us what the undecided 
percentage was on on that last governor's oh, poll? It was only it was only one in ten uh, likely Arizona voters are undecided in that governor's contest. So the way the race is sitting right now, with how close it is, one tenth of Arizonans that are voting right now are, are probably going to decide who you know who wins. Uh, outside of, you know, oh. making sure they turn out their respective supporters on Hobbs and Lakes' side. That was ASU Professor of Political Science, Dr. Gina Woodall, and OHPI Chief Researcher Mike Noble. The conversation went on from there with some interesting perspective on some important down-ballot races. You can listen for that part of the discussion on our podcast. That'll drop Monday at kawc.org. Next week on The Field from KAWC, Arizona Superintendent of Public Instruction, Kathy Hoffman's here to discuss the state of education here in the state's southwestern corner. Plus, we're checking in with Yuma County Elections Director, Tiffany Anderson. The Field is a production of KAWC, Colorado River Public Media. Send your questions or comments to me, lisa.sturgis at kawc.org. Our theme music was composed by Steve Hennig and performed by members of the Yuma Jazz Company. For more information, visit yumajazz.com. Thanks so much for listening to The Field from KAWC. Remember, you can always hear the show at kawc.org, on the KAWC app, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'm Lisa Sturgis. I sure do hope you'll come back next week. Till then, keep yourself informed.